welcome back to Statement Piece with myself, Sita, and Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Woot! So let's just talk about what's going on in the world. So there's still a global pandemic happening. All 50 states have opened. However, it has been a little scary with spikes in numbers, but there's promising news. There's vaccines and treatments on the way, so that's something to look forward to. Just a reminder that if you have the opportunity to not be around people and keep six feet apart, please do. It's something we all have to work on. In addition, the BLM movement is still going strong. There have, However, there have still been instances of police brutality. So obviously there need to be more efforts against systemic racism and it's not a trend or something that we can just dismiss. One thing that we didn't get to last episode, but is happening this month, this Pride Month, talk about a little bit about the history of it. <laughs> so... Pride Month occurs every June in order to commemorate the Stonewall Riots, which occurred at the end of June 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village in New York City. So during this time, the Stonewall Inn, which was owned by the mafia, served as a safe place for people in the gay community in general. And this riot occurred because there was a police raid to this inn. And although the inn was usually tipped off to police raids for LGBTQ serving locations, they weren't tipped off this time. So it sparked a riot for LGBTQ rights. And in particular, I think it's become of importance this month because there's been a lot of talk about intersectionality with BLM as a whole and the entire sentiment surrounding all Black Lives Matter, meaning that all Black Lives Matter, regardless of whether or not they fall under the LGBTQ plus community. Or a large part of the Stonewall riots is additionally credited to a transgender woman who is thought to be the first person to throw a brick at the police, which initially sparked the riots as a whole. And in addition, within the past week, there has been a lot of Supreme Court movement and legislation in general related to LGBTQ plus community. So first of all, on June 15th, the Supreme Court ruled to protect LGBTQ people from employment discrimination, which has been a long effort and huge success for the community. To which Donald J. Trump, our very favorite, tweeted (laughs) on June 18th, do you get the impression that the Supreme Court doesn't like me? (laughs) And then one of our favorite comments is a tweet in response to that initial tweet, which read, imagine being this bad at reading the room. So we thought that the room, Donnie, read the room. (laughs) Yes. But another interesting sentiment that we found on Twitter was tweeted by Ava Victor. And I've found a lot of similar sentiments as I've been scrolling through Twitter and understanding the discourse as well. And so Ava Victor tweeted, we cannot claim an LGBTQ plus victory if we do not acknowledge that in the same week two black trans women were murdered. And so in particular, she is referring to Dominique Remy Fells, age 27, and Raya Milton, age 25, who within a 24-hour time span last week were found dead. And so, of course, this comes in a wave of Black death that has recently been occurring very publicly. And so it kind of speaks to the way in which BLM and the Pride Month as a whole are coming to be a very intersectional movement. And so on that note, we wanted to have today's theme be the commodification of pride in fashion. And so first of all, we wanted to highlight one of our very favorites, SpongeBob, (laughs) Um, (laughs) who was recently announced as a part of the LGBTQ plus community. 
And obviously, I think SpongeBob is such a lighthearted character that people don't really take it as performative activism, but in an industry as serious, capitalist, and omnipotent as fashion, performativism and performative activism is a great part of the discussion when it comes to commodified pride product. One company that we thought perfectly exemplified performative activism is Louis Vuitton. On June 15th, Louis Vuitton unveiled a new colorful Instagram filter inspired by Mason's current rainbow-filled store windows. And so that store is based in New York City, and the outside and inside of the building is covered in rainbow. And while the building had its rainbow decor unveiled in May, the fact that they're unleashing this rainbow campaign during Pride Month kind of suggests that it is a nod towards Pride as a whole. But of course, they haven't actually allied themselves with the Pride movement at all. So Louis Vuitton just comes across as being extremely performative and appropriating the aesthetics that come with a rainbow. Mm -hmm. I think you see it with a lot of companies, right? Like I think about this month in general, I think of Pride as something that's marketed, Pride Month specifically, marketed with products that are really colorful and glittery and follow this thread of express yourself and inclusivity. And you see rainbows plastered everywhere. And I think it's really easy for companies to participate. Like I've seen this in a range of products from Target to Versace came out with a collection this year and this month. So you see it on all different levels of the fashion industry, I feel like. I guess to respond to your question, Catherine, is is it performative? I definitely think it is to some extent. I think it's an easy movement for companies to capitalize off of. And especially because it also doesn't necessarily have to be this whole rainbow. Like I know there's a Warby Parker collection that had that had a variety of frames in a bunch of different colors. And even though it's not explicitly saying pride, it's it's that it's released within this month. It's a variety of colors, you know, like it's very easy for companies to kind of follow that and then align with a specific social stance, I guess. Although I'm not sure how effective that is in promoting LGBTQ voices. So according to Reboot, which is a digital marketing agency, in 2019, only 64% of companies that had a pride campaign actually donated to an LGBTQ cause. And I feel like that's really easy for companies to do. As we had brought up last episode, I feel like it's a push for consumers to demand transparency and to understand where the funds are going because although they may be supporting a company that supposedly shares the same values it may not actually be creating change yeah I definitely think that's interesting it does speak to the fact that companies may be able to create merchandise that's pride related but if they're not actually doing full action and doing everything that they can to take part in the allyship that they claim to have then they aren't really being effective allies. And it kind of reminds me of things like when Gucci released their Pride sneakers. That was 2017. Pre-fall season, they had the rainbow platforms that were supposed to be Pride-themed, and they additionally released other sneakers that had high tops that had rainbows on them. And I think both of those were obviously made into Pride icons and seen as a big part of Pride iconography and merch in general. But at the same time, it's a very expensive shoe from an expensive brand, so they aren't really making it 
accessible to the LGBTQ community. And they're just kind of playing off of the commodification of pride itself and showing that they're a socially conscious company, allegedly. Yeah. And I think one thing that companies can do, we also refer to in the context of Black executives is including more LGBTQ voices in decision making within the company. So I know one company that kind of, I would say, really pushed for intersectionality and understanding the LGBTQ perspective by looking internally within their company networks was Converse. They actually this year did an interesting thing in that they overlap pride and other civil rights movements. They use the more color, more pride flag, which includes black and brown stripes to represent POC members of the LGBTQ community. And this flag was actually started by Amber Hikes, who is an activist who brought the flag to national attention in 2017. And so she's been consulting with Converse on the campaign and also is one of the faces of the campaign. What's interesting to me is that this campaign was actually planned before George Floyd's murder and before all the protests came about in the country. And I thought that's really respectable and that they looked within their internal network and LGBTQ employees consulted with Amber Hikes and then decided to move forward with the intersectionality plan and initiative and representation that not only highlight POC, but also the LGBTQ community. And I feel like that's more so what is needed and that not only are you promoting civil rights in general, but also including those voices in the decision making, which I think is the more important part, right? We need to see more representation and on the executive side of things. Right, right. And I know that Laverne Cox and Ricky Thompson, amongst other LGBTQ plus community prominent influencers, have been featured in campaigns like H&M, but I definitely agree that it's a different story when you're actually creating and facilitating that collaboration and upholding their voice and opinion and not just making them a face of a campaign. So I think a takeaway for corporations in general is that when they're looking to make pride or any kind of social movement affiliated products and commodify it, then they really should invest in the talent of those who are a part of that community in order to elevate their voice. No, I agree completely. Speaking to Converse's initiative, I feel like if companies really weren't performative and did stand for these values, they still would have released statements or initiatives that would support these two, like not only Black Lives Matter movement, but also Pride Month, because at the end of the day, they're both civil rights movements. Obviously, they have different historical contexts and implications, but it's all about accepting people for who they are. It wouldn't be too bizarre for companies to support one and not the other. It's just strange to me that statements haven't been released about both or that companies even before all of this happened unlike converse have really thought about it i think right. that's where i feel like it's more performative and that companies aren't preparing to really stand for what they believe in or really invest in initiatives and invest in like internal representation right yeah i feel like if gucci's rainbow platforms although they were a successful and iconic shoe and product I think that was a bad example of how to go about pride commodification. 
And Converse is a good example of how to go about pride commodification. I think that the reason why pride has been prioritized as a commodified movement is because the colors are so pretty altogether. And I think it's kind of like how breast cancer awareness created a lot of pink products because people could create a shade of pink and utilize millennial pink when it was popular and kind of take on the products in that way while still allying themselves with popular social movements. So I think including colors beyond rainbow and elevating black queer talent within Converse as a company is indeed the way to go about it. Last episode, we talked about how, oh, are some of these social justice movements just trends? And I know brands like HBO and Maybelline have planned longer campaigns beyond Pride Month. And I feel like you do need to see more of that if companies are really going to state that they stand for these values. Yeah, and I think especially as consumers are becoming increasingly diligent and as social media's speed and the just general quick spread of information is being enhanced, companies do really need to pay attention to the diligence of what they're doing and make sure that their actions are indeed sincere because consumers are getting smarter and beginning to divest from companies that don't have this very transparent of going about the commodification of social movements. So for instance, for a lot of companies that create pride products, they may engage in prison labor or they may be funded by a Trump supporter. Estee Lauder's chairman is a large Trump supporter and it it was not that well known a few years ago, but I think now as people are really looking to invest in Black-owned businesses and invest in minority-owned businesses and divest from unethical ones, they are really looking into these kind of stats and voting with their dollar. Very well said. I agree. So companies need to be aware that we're in the age of the internet and where social media has so much power, where you see accounts like at Diet Prada that are really exposing companies for their actions rather than just their words, which as consumers, we can all pay attention to, like Catherine said. Right. can be difficult to vote with a dollar. For instance, Peter Thiel, who is a large investor into Facebook amongst various other popular tech companies, he is a Republican and a Trump supporter. And so people try to refrain from some of the products that he's invested in. But when someone as lucrative and wealthy and powerful as he is, it can be difficult to vote with your dollar when some companies like Facebook have such grandiose influence. And same goes for Amazon. All right. Well, moving along to our second topic. So, stat alert. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, some statistics. We love some numbers. All right. So there's this retail data firm, and they found that the number of pride-themed clothes and accessories that are for sale in the U.S. market is down 58% this year compared to last year. In addition, a company named Tribe Dynamics looked at 50 large fashion brands and found that consumer engagement with the hashtag pride hashtag has plunged by nearly 80% here, which is insane to me. That is a huge amount. Right. And so do you think that this limited production is because of producers producing less supply, knowing that people won't attend as many pride events because of COVID? Or do you think that this limited production is due to low demand since consumers are beginning to divest from companies that don't mean what they say. Yeah, so I feel like COVID isn't really the main barrier to people really supporting Pride. I understand that people aren't going to necessarily go be there in person, and a lot of events have moved online, 
which fun fact there's a pride festival on animal crossing if anyone would like to participate <laughs> message me if you want to be my friend on animal crossing <laughs> do, 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 visit do, my do, island do. <laughs> so anyways going back to what i was saying i was listening to this podcast by the skin and it had an interview with a professor at the university of minnesota and it, she was a an epidemiologist so she worked with in public health the podcast was asking her about her views on the pandemic in relation to the protests that were happening in Minneapolis at the time and she said people really have to decide the trade-off between racial injustice that are still a public health problem and the systemic issues have had more implications on the healthcare industry than I think a lot of us really understand or are even exposed to to kind of disregard the maybe the more publicized public health issue right now it's really up to you to decide the trade-off that you believe in or whether or not you want to like disregard something that's been ha- that's happening right now to fight for something that's been happening for decades. I think that was a very interesting point made. In addition, I think after people kind of pass a level of not social distancing, they kind of get used to that. So I don't necessarily think that COVID is the main reason why sales have gone down. I just feel like there have, there are more pressing matters that people would like to invest their time into. Although I don't think we should discount any movement at all. Again, like I said earlier, these are all, at the end of the day, civil rights movements. If there are opportunities for intersectionality, we should consider them. And I think that the beautiful thing about this second wave of BLM in particular is that intersectionality is becoming an increasing part of the conversation and people are finding ways to interweave BLM into even topics like environmentalism and capitalism. And so in that way, that relates to the commodity of pride and fashion as well, because as people are professing their alliance with pride and creating products that are meant to be pride oriented, then people are looking into whether or not that company is in an environmentalist and supporting BLM and looking into their alliance with other social movements, because you can see how movements are continually being intertwined with one another and not being discounted at all. I think in that way, BLM is uplifting all civil rights movements in general and intertwining and living symbiotically with pride as a whole. And it kind of reminds me of this article that was published on June 8th and written by Leah Thomas in the UK Vogue titled Why Every Environmentalist Should Be Anti-Racist. And in it, it talks about how the impacts of environmental degradation are not borne equally by all populations, but in fact, Black neighborhoods may face the burden more than white neighborhoods and things of that nature. So she uses examples like Hurricane Katrina, which predominantly impacted Black neighborhoods as opposed to white neighborhoods and things of that nature. So it just shows how this kind of intersectional environmentalism and its intertwining with the Black Lives Matter movement can also relate to pride as well, because companies could engage with intersectional environmentalism, but not pride, or they could purport that they are creating pride products, but they themselves are engaging in prison labor and things like that. So I think people are really engaging deeply with companies and looking into how they're producing their products and what kind of policies and actions they're taking in order to really make a difference. Yeah, and I feel like it's a little hidden and vague in the fashion industry specifically. It would be great to see more of that come to light. 
right in these big fashion houses it reminds me of a tiktok and various tweets that have become viral as of late talking about how ben and jerry's ice cream is a little pricier than others because they hire recently re-entered and previously incarcerated citizens and they start their pay at $16 an hour and they also donate quite a bit to their local community. And so now people are really asking consumers to invest and choose Ben and Jerry's ice cream when they're making those decisions. And I think that if fashion companies were able to engage in similar across the board alliance with the social movements that they claim to support, then people would really throw their money into that fashion company in particular. I think it also may gain more interest in the fashion industry. I feel like a lot of people may see it as an intimidating industry or just something that's really unfamiliar and something that's really focused on vanity, which definitely does not have to be the case. If there's more transparency on the path on how it's created and how it ends up in the consumer's hands, that may be of more interest to people and who may not have previously participated in the fashion industry. Right. In fact, the idea of transparency within companies' production reminds me of a December 18th, 2019 New York Times article titled H&M's Different Kind of Clickbait. And in it, it writes... Browsing the H&M website this month, you may find yourself taken with certain selections. And if you click on the product sustainability tab on the page, you will learn different facets about every product that you're looking at such as this product was made in Bangladesh by some of the 13,000 workers at the Janat Apparels and Fashion Plant in Ghazipur, a dense manufacturing neighborhood near Dhaka. And so this is a part of the company's new, quote-unquote, consumer-facing transparency layer. And so in this way, this kind of demonstrates how fashion is indeed looking towards making the supply chain more transparent to their consumers and really engaging in this across the board. However, H&M obviously is known as being a fast fashion company, which is viewed as being anti-environmentalist and thus anti-racist and anti-sustainable. And so in my opinion, if H&M truly wanted to limit the negative side effects of fast fashion, that they would just try to alter consumer behavior and change their manufacturing lines to be that of slow fashion. I agree, Catherine. That was well said. T.Y. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, shall we move on to our highlight of a Black queer (laughs) icon in the fashion industry? Yeah, so Balma, which is a French fashion house, recently decided to refrain from the commodification of Pride, despite the fact that their creative director being Olivier Roustin, who is gay and Black. And who wrote that he wanted to bring some joy because right now the fashion world is kind of sad. Everybody is worried about the future, but instead of being worried, instead of words, put some action. He said this to WWD in an article titled Balmont Resort 2021, which was published by Joelle Diderek on June 18th. And I thought that this outlook is kind of an interesting alternative to the commodification of pride instead of making pride and BLM a related products. He just wanted to create a very joyful campaign to try and hold on to the 
more uplifting parts of society, it may receive some backlash because while it does nod to what is going on in the world, it doesn't necessarily make a very valuable contribution to Black Lives Matter or Pride Month. But I think it was an interesting campaign as a whole. It's generally inspired by 90s pop culture and iconography, which is quite cis, white, and straight, such as the film Pretty Woman and Clueless. But nevertheless, it is definitely the uplifting campaign that I think Olivier was looking for because the campaign is shot in a field in Normandy and there are brightly colored pastel blocks in the background and the pieces themselves are brightly colored, have bold patterns, large shoulders, and just general very Bama features. Yeah, I kind of disagree with the idea that they're not directly addressing what is happening in the world right now, because I feel like having a creative director that is both Black and gay might have longer-term benefits. Like, having that representation, again, in a really big fashion house. Like, those are things that I feel like we're calling for, and if someone's already doing it so successfully, it's like actions speak louder than words sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe even though it may not be a short-term campaign that has these really loud words, it's a long-term support for uh, the two communities. Right. Yeah, I agree as well. I do think that representation from the top is the most effective means of including voices and being an ally as a corporation to these minority groups. Um, Love to hear it. Yes. Well, I personally love Olivier because I think he has such a unique look. But as a whole, I think as a creator, as a visual model, he is just someone of interest. Yeah, definitely. So there's this New York Times article called The Truth About Olivier Zing by Vanessa Friedman. And it was published on September 24th in 2019. And it's actually about this documentary about Olivier's past. He was adopted as a baby by a French couple in Bordeaux, and he always believed he was of mixed race. And then around 25, he was actually appointed as the creative director at Balma, which is, I feel like all of these people that we're featuring are starting at such a young age. It's really inspiring, actually. Or he's known as one of the youngest creative directors of a major French brand. And I thought one interesting quote coming from the chief executive of Balma said that this guy, mixed race, gay, and orphan, he didn't start out at zero. He started at minus 10. And I think that's a really powerful statement in that he really did start from nowhere, worked his way up, and helped create this brand that is really built on the power of women and um, yeah, so to I, see what he does in the future. Yes. All right. Well, concluding thoughts. <laughs> there honestly is a lot of performative allyship in my opinion I feel like a lot of companies find it really easy to align with certain values or create pride themed products like for myself I kind of demand more action being done and more results being made and I guess like only time will tell because I feel like only now are consumers really pushing for change and transparency and participation in social justice movement so I'm 
optimistic about the future, but right now I'm not necessarily happy with how things have gone. And especially in the fashion industry where I feel like groups have traditionally been marginalized, then for fashion companies to not even specify where they may be donating or even supporting a cause is honestly really disappointing. I think it is disappointing to look at the past, but I think in terms of the future, I think the second wave of BLM has done a really good job at uplifting other civil rights movements and really emphasizing intersectionality. So I think one thing that we can do is hope for these companies to hear these urges and calls for greater intersectionality and sincerity with actions. So I hope moving forward, other companies continue to be sincere in the things that they are calling for and be diligent and call for further representation for not only queer, but other minority and especially Black voices as they are proceeding in campaigns and responding to social movements. And I think that Converse in particular did an excellent job of that. So there's this Forbes article that was released at the beginning of this month called Pride Month List of LGBT Digital Pride Events as 500 Prides Cancel Amid coronavirus by Jamie Warham and it features many online events and again if anyone would like to participate on the animal crossing um, (laughs) pride event please let me know and reach out to me if you'd like to visit my island (laughs) (laughs) yes and there are also things like reddit pride with r slash lgbt there is also online pride going on at queerasia.com there's a sophia pride live event featuring famous musicians in Bulgaria. Yes, check them out if you feel so inclined. Hope to see you all there. I may perhaps be (laughs) participating in the Animal Crossing one. (laughs) All right, well, that's all for now, folks. Thank you for listening, everyone. (laughs) Do-do-do-do-do-do! 